Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. Amen. What an honor, again, to be here with you. And we've had an incredible weekend here, Friday night, and then last night, and had people giving their heart to Jesus, and people getting set free. So it's been an incredible experience already. And it's just, again, it's always such an honor for me to come home And I so love and honor um, Henry and Beth Jones, and they've been in my life for many, many years. Um, Brother Henry was one of the first people to ever trust me to preach in his pulpit many years ago, back down in Sop Choppy. And um, so I I treasure that. And then he was very instrumental in even my very early marriage. And um, he and Beth played a big role with Darla and I in those first couple of years that are always so fun in marriage. (laughs) Well, you're getting to know each other, right? But um, I've just always had such honor and such respect for, for him and love this staff here. I've known Chuck and Jennifer for many years and Diane and Dallas and um, just, you know, and all the, the newer folks that have come in, Lori and um, Bill and his wife. So it's just always, and I'm sure if I miss somebody, please know that I'm not doing it on purpose, but it's just Linda, I see back there, just folks that have been around for, for many years here. So this... This is home to me, and I feel like I'm with family. And again, we are, we're honored. I, I, I do direct Fire School of Ministry in Charlotte, plus I'm also the, the international director of Fire Schools of Ministry. We have a school in, in Davao City, Philippines. We have one in Catania, Sicily, Italy. We have one in Rotterdam, Holland. And we have one in Yende, Cameroon, Africa. So between all those schools and my own ministry, Generation Impact Ministries, um, I stay pretty busy. But, but God is, is good, and we are seeing incredible things around the world. So I'm so blessed when I can come out and be with my students. And um, they've done fantastic here this weekend. Before I preach, they have a, a brief presentation that, that they're going to do for you this morning. So I want you just to open your hearts and allow this to minister to you this morning. Amen? All right, guys.
Son sets free is free indeed this morning. You know, I believe all of us could hold up a sign this morning. And um, it's interesting, you know, this the litany of testimonies that we have here today. We've got um, from ex-convicts to um, to ex-religion addicts. But the bottom line is, you know, whether you were raised in church your entire life or whether you were bound by drugs or any other type of addiction or anger or depression, a testimony is a testimony. And it's the same power and blood of Jesus that sets the captive free. Amen. And I, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I, am, I am an addict. I'm addicted to Jesus. <laughs> 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 
And there, there's something interesting about, at least for me, I'm speaking for myself, but there's something interesting about um, ministry for me. The older I get, the more simple this becomes. And um, again, as I said last night, I, I used to really want to be a preacher and be known as a preacher, and I think that's okay, especially when we're younger. But you get to a place to where the simplicity as well as the profoundness of knowing Christ becomes everything to us. And um, I, I have no really greater joy than seeing these folks. I, there's 20 of our students with us here. We have more in Charlotte this morning but in, in students around the world. But I have no greater joy than to see them fulfilling the purposes of God in their lives. Kind of like Paul said, that was his greatest joy, to see his spiritual children going for it and doing it. And um, so my, my heart is so full this morning. Um, I'm stirred. I was up early with the Lord this morning. And um, as Brother Henry said, I, I do believe that there are some mercy drops falling. Some of you might say, what does that mean? I believe that, that we, f- we find ourselves this morning in the midst of possibly the, the beginning of something very special, very supernatural. To where a, a community, a city, a county can be arrested by the love of God, by the holiness of God. Amen. That those things that, that we read about and some of us have even been blessed to be a part of for a season. That, that God in His sovereignty from time to time shows up in power and in demonstration. Some of you are familiar with Henry Blackaby, and Henry Blackaby has been a strong force in my life now, really since my time at Salt Choppy with you guys years ago, and when we did the class with Henry Blackaby. But I began to read other stuff from him and listen to him, and he, he's a great revivalist at heart. And, and Henry Blackaby said this, he said, Dear in true revival, thousands of lost people are suddenly swept into the kingdom of God. Scenes of the lost coming to the Savior in great and unprecedented numbers become common. Black be said, when holy God draws near in true revival, people come under terrible conviction of sin. The outstanding feature of spiritual awakening has been the profound consciousness of the presence and the holiness of God. One more quote by Blackaby. All revival begins and continues in the prayer meeting. Some have also called prayer the great fruit of revival. In times of revival, thousands may be found on their knees for hours, lifting up their heartfelt cries with thanksgiving to heaven. If I had to describe who I am, how God has made me, I've loved pastoring when I've done it. I've loved evangelizing. And and many times, especially when I'm overseas, I I feel that that evangelistic mantle on me when I'm standing before oftentimes thousands of people, like I was in Sierra Leone two months ago, preaching to eight to 10,000 Muslims. And I I feel that evangelistic anointing on me. But, But if there is one thing that has driven my heartbeat for many, many years... It would be the, the heart of a revivalist. That, that I have this, this great passion, this great desire to see Jesus 
glorified and revealed in my lifetime, in my generation. There's, there's something that happens to me when I, when I read about revival history and when I teach on revival history. I, I find myself becoming very restless, divinely restless in my spirit. There's a divine disturbing that, that begins to take place in me. Now, now again, I, I told the folks here last night, I believe that we can live in a perpetual state of personal revival. It doesn't mean we don't have hard times. It doesn't mean we're not challenged. It doesn't mean that we don't experience difficulties in our lives and that there's not battles. Matter of fact, I, I found that whenever I call God into alliance and I really fully commit my heart to the Lord in prayer, in intimacy, in the Word, in reaching the lost, doing the work of an evangelist, even fasting, I've, I've found that it is in those seasons that the bull demons are let loose in my life. And you know what I'm talking about maybe by bull demons? The biggins. The, the battles sometimes are most ferocious whenever I'm engaging God the most deliberately. But I don't think that's strange, as Peter said, don't think it's strange when fiery trials come to, to fight you and come to resist you because in every generation when God has begun to stir a person or a people... They have always had to, to step out of their comfort zone and engage darkness through prayer and intercession and begin to pull down strongholds. And I found something out about the enemy. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the enemy because that's not my focus here this morning. But I found something out about the enemy. He is not going to roll over and play dead just because we get on fire for God. He's going to fight more ferociously even in those seasons where the move of God is so powerful because he realizes that there is a clash of two kingdoms that is taking place. And I believe that we stand in a very interesting time in history. There is a clash of two kingdoms taking place. If, if we could have went to sleep... 65, 70 years ago and slept until now and woke up and looked at the condition of culture and society even in our country. I think many of our parents and grandparents who are now gone on with the Lord would have been shocked at the condition of our world. So, so I want you to hear my heart before I go into my message this morning. When I talk about the nature of God and, and the presence of God and the fire of God and revival and these things, it is not just a theme of nostalgia to me or something that I thank God that I know about because of what God has done in the past. No, it is a present burning in my heart that we would see the glory of God revealed again in our generation. That once again... The fire of heaven would burn in the midst of this earth and we would realize that God is present. And let me tell you something about revival. I remember when God was moving so powerfully in Pensacola over 20 years ago now. I remember talking to my grandmother one afternoon in Pensacola and she told me, you know when revival used to happen when I was a kid in Alabama and God began to move the Pentecostals, the Methodists, the Baptists, we would all come to the same church because we knew that God was moving and people were being saved. 
You see, there, there, there's something I, I found out, especially as I travel around the world. Revival is not just for the Pentecostals and the Charismatics or the Baptists or the Methodists or the Episcopals or the Presbyterians or the Independents or the non-denominational, the interdenominational, the what denominationals, whatever. But listen, when God begins to move, it begins to move across an area. And the fire of God and the intensity of His glory begins to impact people. And that brings me to my message this morning. I, I want to talk to you this morning about the consuming nature of God. Now, I, I've taught a lot about the nature of God in a... Bible seminary type setting and, and, and I enjoy that and there's a place for that and I that's another hat that I wear sometimes and we can talk about many many dynamics of God's nature his his forgiveness his long suffering his mercy his wonderful love his holiness I mean there are so his transcendency we could use other words but but when I read the word of God and when I see who God is Throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, church history, in my own experience, there is one dynamic, one element that, that always stands up off the pages of the Word of God. And that is that our God is a God of fire. <laughs> I hope that makes us feel comfortable this morning. <laughs> I don't think it's supposed to make us feel comfortable. Hebrews 12, 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. Now let me give you a Greek lesson, what that means in the Greek. It means this, For our God is a consuming fire. For those that are stuck on the Greek. Listen, God is who He, he is the testimony of His own glory or His own nature. When He begins to reveal who He is, my friend, we don't have to wonder if God is here or if God is moving or if God is doing something. No, He testifies of His very existence. When I have studied the, the Old Testament prophets and the life that these, these men lived, they were not just men with a message, but they literally became the message. They became the very personification of who God's nature was and they were sick to burn in the midst of Israel in times of idolatry oftentimes and, and wickedness and perversion. God would set them ablaze. They would become fused or, or welded with the heart of God. And as they would speak, they would speak as God Himself would speak. Or look at the life of revivalist. Men like Billy Sunday, men like Jonathan Edwards in the first Great Awakening, Charles Finney in the second Great Awakening, men that, 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 that carried this overwhelming, consuming passion to see Jesus glorified in their generation. They were not just people that loved Jesus. No, they became one with the consuming fire of God's nature. I always tell people, if we're going to pray for revival, we better know what we're praying for. Because when God begins to burn in power and in demonstration, 
everything changes, my friend. Everything becomes different. Ian Bounds, the great writer on prayer and was a great man of God that lived in the Civil War time and ministered among the Confederate Army. Eugene Bounds said this, God must be represented by a fiery church or He is not truly represented. God is all fire and His church, if it be like Him, must also be aflame with the great eternal interest of His. God is a God of fire. Now, I want to read from the book of Acts to you this morning. I want to show you the, the birthday of the church here. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 this morning. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. I'll be reading from the New King James this morning. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, somebody say suddenly. I've experienced a few suddenlies in my life, and to be honest with you, some of them scared me. Sometimes God springs a convicting surprise even on His own people that love Him in order to reveal unto them a greater element of His holiness and His power and His desire to change a people, to change a county, to change a city. Suddenly, as they were in this upper room, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I want to draw you back to the part that says, Then there appeared to them, what? Divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. Now, if, if this would happen this morning, it would be pretty disturbing, right? If all of a sudden, the fire of God would manifest, as it did on the Feast of Pentecost here, when they were in that upper room, the Bible said literally, a fire lit upon each of them and began to burn in their lives. Now, uh, here's what I want to show you this morning. This was... The birthplace. This was the place where the church was birthed. This was the prophecy of Joel being fulfilled that in the last days He would pour His Spirit out upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and then old men and young men dreaming dreams and having visions. This was the fulfillment. I believe it's also the fulfillment of of Moses when he said, I would that all of God's people should prophesy. This was the infilling of the Spirit of God upon the people of God. That we would carry His nature and His fire. And listen, I understand the part about speaking in tongues and thank God for all of that, but let me tell you, I don't have the Holy Spirit so that I can speak in tongues this morning. I do speak in tongues, but listen, I have the Holy Spirit because He gives me boldness through His fire to be a witness for Jesus in my generation. That's the purpose for the Holy Spirit. It's not so that I can prove to you that I'm a Pentecostal charismatic because really, I'm a Jesus man more than anything else. Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
Why? Because that's His nature. He immerses us in His nature. This is the birthday of the church. The New Testament church was birth through fire. It is God's will for you and I to, to experience, to, to, to know what it means to be full of the presence of God. Listen, some of the, the students were held and holding up signs saying dead religion and stuff like this. And listen, if you study the Great Awakenings, the, the reason that, that, that there was such a cry for God to move in these times of, of history in America, first even in the colonies in the 1700s, but because the reason this happened or the purpose was because oftentimes religion had become very stale, very cold, very lethargic. There was no life. There was no passion. There was no relationship with Jesus. And, and God would use a man like Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s who was really a colossal intellect. He was a theologian. And Jonathan Edwards was not a, a, a passionate preacher, they say. He would write his sermons down. And he, would, he had bad eyesight, so he would hold his written sermons to his eyes very closely. And he would monotone, read his sermons. And as he was reading his sermons, history says the fire of God would begin to move in that place. And people would be gripped with conviction, leading them to repentance. You see, the fire of God is not just for one group of people. The fire of God is the nature of His Spirit that He has called us to live in, to walk in, and to have upon us and in us. And I believe that sometimes if we're not careful, we can become, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of this myself, or have been, we can become technicians of, of words. You see, it's not enough for me to, to talk to you about the fire of God. It's not enough for me to talk to you about intimacy with Jesus. It's not enough for me to talk to you about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Listen, this has to be something that is real in my life. This has to be something that is real in your life. When we study the lives of the revivalists, these were individuals who had an experience with God and brought that experience to the public arena. And as a result, God responded to their heart, their hunger, and their passion for a move of God. My heart cried this morning is that God would once again burn in revival fire. That, as Henry Blackaby said, that we would see thousands and thousands and thousands bow their knee to Jesus. Can I tell you something? Performance is not going to save a dying world, my friend. We don't need more polished professional preachers. We've got more of those than we need. I'm not against education. I'm not against learning. Don't misunderstand me. But when that replaces the fire of God and a relationship with God, then oftentimes it is pride and human logic and knowledge that begins to steer the ships of religion. There is no power. There is no presence. There is no glory. There is no passion. There is no conviction. There is no true salvation. And we learn to do the, the, the motions of Christianity. Can I tell you something? Be real transparent. I've been doing this for 33 years. 
I, I know how to get a three-point or a four-point sermon and to put some verses in there. And again, there, there's profit to this at times. Don't misunderstand me. But listen to me. If I am not careful, I can find myself relying more on my experience and my education and my ability to stand in front of people and, and bloviate. I can rely more on that than the presence of God's nature being real in the midst of even a setting like this this morning. You see, my heart is not that you would see me, but my heart is that we would be so hungry for Jesus. So desperate for a move of God in America in 2018, in an hour of postmodernism, in an hour of moral relativism, in an hour where, as John Wesley said, what one generation permits, the next one promotes. In an hour where we, where we call good evil and evil good. In an hour where if you just stand for basic biblical truth, you are called a hate monger. That's the time. Listen, what do we need? We don't need more fancy churches with all these new little fancy names that might draw people and our marketing scheme to bring people in. We need the fire of God to burn in our generation. We need men and women of God that will walk close to Him. Men and women of God that know how to pray. Men and women of God that are willing to lose their lives so that other lives can be saved and delivered. Men and women that are not distracted by the things of this world. Men and women that are not drunk on worldliness. Those that, that, that have a burning passion for things that are eternal. That, that understand the quote of living Ravenhill are the things we are living for worth Christ dying for. Those whose hearts have been committed to Christ. Some will say, man, this is just radical, dogmatic fanaticism. But when I look at the New Testament church, when I look at the church throughout the history of the world, when I look at the persecuted church this morning, knowing that around the world we have brothers and sisters that are shedding their blood for Jesus while we are here in this place. Listen, only eternity and only a move of God makes sense in my heart and in my spirit. I'm not interested in being a minister. I'm interested... And being a lover of Jesus and as a result carrying His glory and His fire into my generation. The fire of God is necessary. Listen to the words of William Booth. I'm sure everyone here has heard of the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army still does some very good things. But if you study the history of this movement, they were birthed in fire. And they had a great passion to see God move and to see the lost saved. William and Catherine Booth were generals in the kingdom of God. God used them to go to the worst of the worst. There were times when they were preaching in England and literally they would literally throw human feces and urine on top of them. This is history as they were preaching. And they would keep preaching. They would throw rotten tomatoes at them. But these individuals were so consumed with Jesus being glorified. 
that they were passionate. They were hungry for the fire of God. William Booth spent a lot of time talking about the fire of God. And he experienced it. Listen to this hymn that he wrote. Thou Christ of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. Thy blood-bought gift today we claim, send the fire today. Look down and see this waiting host. Give us the promised Holy Ghost. We need another Pentecost. Send the fire. Send the fire. Send the fire. And listen to me. I don't believe the fire of God is an option for us. We need God's Spirit moving in and among us. Listen, in the nation of Israel, When God was present in their midst, there was even a great fear that the heathen pagan nations came under because they recognized that God was in the midst of those people. When they would allow idols to be erected in their lives and their hearts would become divided, then the presence of God would dissipate off of them. And oftentimes, because God's a God of mercy... And this might mess with your theology. Because God is a God of mercy, He would allow and even execute judgment through pagan kings in order to bring them back to repentance which would restore the joy of the Lord in His own people. So that His fire could once again abide in the midst of a people called by His own name. God's nature has been revealed throughout the Word of God. On Mount Sinai, God would come down on that mountain. Fire and smoke. That mountain would shake. When Elijah stood on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, and after they had gone through all all their rigmarole and cutting themselves and their demon God not answering anything, their dead God, Elijah steps up and you know the story. He puts the... The, um, the sacrifice on the altar and then he pours the water and it fills the trenches around it and then he calls and what does God do? God answers by fire. This is his nature. When John sees Jesus on the Isle of Patmos in the New Testament, when he sees him, his eyes are burning like fire. He's not a baby in a manger. He's not on a cross. When John sees Jesus glorified, his eyes are burning like fire. A sword protrudes out of his mouth. His face is white like the sun glowing. His hair is white like wool. He's glorified in fire. You see, this is the God that we serve this morning. And what does fire mean to you and I this morning? I believe that fire is validation. It's proof. That God is in our midst. Listen, I want to I want to read Hebrews twelve twenty nine again. Our God is a consuming fire. In the natural, when a fire begins to burn, my friend, you don't have to tell everybody there's a fire burning. When a house is burning down. It's something that, that draws people. People come and they watch the structure as it burns. You don't have to announce the house is on fire. You see, when God is burning in the heart of an individual. How many of you, how many of you have ever been around someone that's on fire for God? And you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you just get around them. And one or two things happen. You get set on fire or you get away from them as quick as you can. Because you don't want anything to do with what's going on with them. You see, fire is validation. Fire is proof. 
God proves His own works through His own nature. And oftentimes, He'll consume or possess vessels with His glory. And they begin to burn with passion and with desire. And nothing can stop them. I said, I don't want to stop, friend. I don't want to slow down. I told the folks last night, I'll, I'll be 50 in five months. I've got maybe... 30, 35 years to run hard, maybe more if God's merciful, if Jesus tarries. Uh, I feel like Leonard Raven, I want to burn until I die, and then I'll really start burning. I don't want to stop. I I, I don't want to have another interim period where I just kind of kick back and let Keith be Keith. I enjoy life. I have fun. I love my family. I I love friends. I love doing what I do. But listen to me. There is always this this passion, this, this desire that Jesus, you have to move in my generation. Save this nation that I'm going to. Save this city. Deliver this people. Awaken your church. These things are always very near to my heart. I cannot escape them. I cannot... Evade them. They, 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 it's like my heart sometimes beating violently as I hunger for God. Listen, fire is proof that God is in our midst. I have felt His presence, His fire here this weekend. And I always feel His presence here, but I'm talking about something different. I, I felt this hunger. We were in prayer this morning over in Brother Bill's office. Thanks, brother. Let us use your office. And we're all like, man, I don't really want to leave. We were talking about, can we just like finish our classes here for the next four weeks? We've got four weeks of school. I mean, there, there's, there's, there's something. I'm not trying to just hype you up, but I, I'm telling you, when, when God begins to stir in the hearts of a people, His proof is that passion and hunger begins to awaken on the inside of us. Things of eternity become way more important to us than the things of this world. Number two, fire also demands purity. If it's really God's fire, then it will purify Let me just say this, and I know I'm live on Facebook with a lot of people seeing this this morning. And I love all of you on Facebook and here. Any revival or quote revival that does not bring people to purity of heart, any move of God that does not have conviction and repentance and salvation, And listen, I don't live in condemnation. I want you to understand this. But the fire of God every day brings me to this place. Oh God, even if there's something in my thought life that has offended you, purify me, God, with your fire. It's not condemnation. No, I am cognizant or I am aware of the holiness of His nature when His fire is present, my friend. Real fire purifies. It cleanses. It brings us to a place of repentance. There's been a lot said about the Brownsville revival. And listen, one thing about revival, people are involved in every revival, so there's mistakes made, right? I mean, when God begins to move in power, even here, I promise you, some some people are going to make mistakes. Welcome to the family of God. 
But listen to me. One of the things that stood out to me, Brother Henry, more than anything else in the Brownsville Revival was this. 20-something years ago now. I was on the prayer team there and many, you know, hundreds of meetings there praying for people. Many, 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 many nights. The people that I'm praying for are men and women much older than me. Some been in ministry 20, 30, 40 years. Coming up to me weeping. I need forgiveness. I have been living a secret life of sin. I've been running around on my wife. I've stolen from my church money. I mean, I, I could give you, I mean, stuff that curled my hair. Understand? Listen, when God begins to burn in and among the people, it brings us to a place of passion for purity. I'm not talking about some legalistic thing to where everybody looks at you and says, man, that guy is holy, holy, holy. And I'm talking about the kind of fire that humbles you and breaks you and brings you to the place of abasement to where you realize only that that God does through you matters in the light of eternity and nothing else even matters. To where you lose, you lose your passion for the approval of man. And all that matters to you is that you're right before God in your heart. What was David's cry in his penitential psalm, Psalm 51, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband sent to the front line to die, impregnate another man's wife? What was his cry when Nathan came in and rebuked him? What did he say? He said, oh God, cleanse me in the inner parts of my being. What was his passion? Restore fellowship with you. It doesn't matter what people think. You see, when the fire of God begins to burn, my friend, it consumes all that pride. Let me tell you something. One day, this didn't preach much anymore. One day, we're going to all stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. If you're not saved, you'll stand at the great white throne judgment. But tonight, you can give your heart, or this morning, you can give your heart to Jesus. But one day, all of us will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account for every word and every deed. That is not Keith Collins. That's the New Testament Scriptures. I don't want to stand before him and say, well, I was afraid of what they thought of me. Or I, I just wanted that one little thing in my life. Friend, when the fire of God begins to burn, it brings purity. Listen To Psalm 23, 3 and 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Clean hands and a pure heart. True fire, true revival fire brings about purity of motive, purity of heart. It's like God comes in and kind of like Isaiah in chapter 6 where he's a prophet already, but he beholds the holiness of God. And what is his cry? Woe is me! I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in a nation of people with unclean lips. He recognized that God was so holy and so pure. True fire purifies, my friend. Even in the natural, it purifies. Number three, and I'm almost done. The fire of God instills a deep, deep passion for the Lord and for the things of the Lord. 
There's an old song we used to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Some of you remember that old song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His glory and grace. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. Or look full in His his face. The things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Can I tell you something? When I behold Him in His glory and His majesty, the things of this world are very dull and very dim. When we really experience the nature of God touching our heart, we can cry with the psalmist as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. There's an easy way to examine your walk with God. And it's this. Before God and before yourself, in all honesty, ask the question, am I living hungry and thirsty for more of God? If you're not, if you're satisfied with just a one-time experience where maybe you shook a pastor's hand and repeated a prayer, and I'm not saying you're not saved, but listen to me, that is not normal Christianity. If you read the Word of God, there is this ongoing, intimate, fiery relationship that we are called to walk in with Jesus. To where He becomes everything to us. He's the lover of our souls. When we prostitute our spirituality to lesser lovers and we erect idols in our hearts and we place Jesus with other idols, then we cease to burn with eternal fire. God calls us to be passionate. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, your mind, your soul. There are verses throughout the Old and New Testament. The cry of men and women throughout history is, God, take me deeper in my relationship with you. David, restore communion. Restore fellowship with you. When the fire of God begins to burn, my friend, everything changes. Our priorities become very, very different. Listen, I have, I have taught scientists. I've taught people with two PhDs. I've taught doctors. I've taught school teachers. I've taught pastors who have been backslidden that came back to God over the last 20-something years. I've taught a lot of different people, my friend. But I'm going to tell you the thing that, that, that brought them to this place to where they were saying, my life has to count for Jesus is a passion. Listen, I believe with all of my heart the thing that drove the life of the Apostle Paul, who was severely tortured, as you know, beaten by the Jews five times, beat to death and left outside a city to die, and God raised him up, imprisoned, destitute, hungry at times, naked, cold, shipwrecked. I mean, this man's life... I mean, it's hard to even describe what he went through. But he never came to a place and said, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? No, he was so consumed with a revelation and a passion 
of Jesus and for Jesus. He realized the love that Jesus had towards him. Nate Saint, who was martyred by the Aka Indians in the 1950 with Jim Elliott, he asked the question, why is it that we are willing to waste our lives as missionary people ask us? Some people think it's a waste of life to go to a nation, to go to a tribal region and give their lives for the gospel. Why do people do this? Not because it's a noble thing to do oftentimes, but because there's a burning passion in their hearts for Jesus and to make Him known. And I want to tell you something. You cannot be a true lover of Jesus and not be a lover of dying humanity. It just doesn't mix. There are people, they're more concerned about the next feeling at a conference and the next experience they can have in their own lives. And thank God for experiences. But if you don't get up from that experience and reach a dying world, then I doubt the validity of that experience. A true experience with the fire of God evokes passion. I, I find myself some nights sleeping in some strange places, sometimes surrounded by a mosquito net in the jungle of Africa. Sometimes I have to go in nasty hotel rooms and kill the bugs and I'll bring some bug spray and I'll spray in the windowsill because there's no screens and hoping it'll keep whatever's out there out there. And I'll get up in some of these areas especially down near the equator in southwest Pacific, I, I'll stand and it's 105 degrees and you think what color county has humidity? You ain't seen nothing till you go to the equator, my friend. And I'll stand and I'm tired and hot and sweaty and not knowing when I'm going to get a real shower again. But I'll stand and, and I'll look at the faces of maybe 100, 150, 250 pastors, some of these men that have walked for two and three days to get to a meeting and, and we'll, we'll raise some money and, and buy some rice and a little bit of vegetables so that we can mix in the rice with some gravy. And man, they just feel like we've taken into a five-star restaurant. And I'll, I'll stand before them. And listen, in my flesh... I don't like it, but I'm going to tell you something. There's something that I find every time I'm in this setting. There's a grace and a passion and a love that comes from the heart of Jesus. I'm not there to prove that I'm a missionary or that I'm a missionary evangelist, but I'm there because the love of Jesus means more to me than my own comfort. It means more to me than my own familiar surroundings. We look at the lives of Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, David Livingston, some of these pioneering missionaries went into places like China and India and Africa before we had the internet, before we had airplanes, before we had... Listen, these men laid their lives down to make Jesus known. Passion drove them. You know what the fruit of the Brownsville Revival is? The fruit of the Brownsville Revival is 20 students are here this morning on fire for Jesus, most of them going to the mission field. The fruit of the Brownsville Revival is around the world right now, and I visit these people all the time. There are people burning with eternity, hungry for revival, seeing a move of God in some of the darkest regions of the world. Why? Because fire evoked passion on the inside of them. Normal Christianity i got one more point. I'm going to ask the band to join me if they would, the worship team. You can stand with me this morning. 
There is one other element about fire that I want to just take a couple of minutes and close with. And that is this. Fire always begets more fire. Acts 9.31, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Acts 13.52, And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I remember reading John Wesley's journal one night. I've read, I think, all of his journals and everything that we have that he wrote. John Wesley said one time that he was very fatigued in his body. He was an older man at this time. Wesley preached up into his 80s, and oftentimes on Sunday he would preach six to eight times a day. His first sermon was usually at 5 a.m., and he would ride horseback. He rode over 250,000 miles on a horse in his life. He was a firebrand, a little guy, but a firebrand for the Lord. And he talks about a time where he's very fatigued in his body and he didn't have the strength to even really stand and preach. And oftentimes, strange to all, well, he would preach two and three hours at a time. This is what I have to do when I'm in Asia, especially. If you don't do that, they think something's wrong with you. But, but anyhow, so, so Wesley is, is fatigued in his body. And he said that literally, it was as if he was standing beside himself and the Holy Spirit came upon him. And filled him. And the fire of God literally took control of his mouth. The disciples were continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, there is no end to what I'm talking about. Fire always begets more fire. The great missionary Amy Carmichael to India said, Make me thy fuel, O flame of God. You know what God's looking for this morning? He's not looking at your bank account. He don't care about that. He's not looking at your last name. It's not about who your mom and daddy are. He's not looking at your education, whether you've got a PhD or a D-man or an MDiv or whatever in, in behind your name or in front of your name. He's looking for fuel this morning. He's looking for young people that will say, you know what? I refuse to live like the rest of my friends. I will not be a coward. I will not give my life to the spirit of this world. My life will count for eternity. And I don't care what people say about me. Who cares anyway in the presence of God? It doesn't even matter. He's looking for fathers that will be fathers. Mothers that will be prayer warriors. He's looking for people that are lukewarm, that your wood is wet this morning. He wants to blow over that wood and dry it out and set it ablaze. He's looking for people that will say, Jesus, my life for the gospel. He's looking for the individual right here this morning that's been running from the call of God upon your life. And you've been distracted by this world. But this morning, the fire of God is burning in your heart. And God is reviving and rekindling that, that, that vision and that word that was spoken into your spirit as a younger person. He'll redeem the time. And if you'll become the fuel, His fire will take care of the rest. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. 
If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.